Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... <laughs> Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down Twanfield, and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you surely man? So this uh, this Paul Pogba emoji for the Man United Liverpool game. I I saw it yesterday. It, I'm, I'm looking at the right one, all right? It, Looks a lot like the one that's been there all along. Kind of a pyramidal structure. Two eyes shining brightly. A broad smile plastered across the front. No. I don't is, think that's was the one. That, there was a different one, was there? Uh, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just kind of felt that maybe that described actually quite accurately what we were looking at for large parts of yesterday's Manchester United-Liverpool game. Welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. It's Murphy and Ken here. I was asked on Twitter by Sam Carter, a listener... Uh, in a, a very pull-faced kind of a fashion, if Owen McDevitt is still with the show, as he put it. And yes, he is, of course, still with the show. He's just on his honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, suffice to say, we've yet to receive a postcard, but uh, he's in South Africa. He's um, uh, on safari, and he's keeping his eyes peeled for the big five, which usually means the African lion, elephant, Cape buffalo, leopard, and the rhinoceros but in McDevitt's case actually means Trevor Immelman Jack Callis Bobby Skinstead Quinton Fortune and of course the ever elusive John, John, John Robbie Very seldom if ever seen in the wild right. uh, anymore uh, no matter where McDevitt was so he was no doubt and I mean there is no doubt about it watching Merseyside versus Manchester yesterday Yeah, uh, I don't know how you feel about this recent or well, maybe it's not so recent uh, fad for naming these games yeah uh, that Sky have indulged in. Let's go branding. Mm. Red Monday. I, I thought it would never get over Red Monday. Yeah. I thought it was that was the nadir. It's like, okay, we'll just go back to naming games what they're called, you know, with the teams involved. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was, it, I suppose it worked out, um, it worked out pretty excitingly mm-hmm. uh, for Sky, although not in the way that, uh, not in the way necessarily that everybody had expected. I think they, they thought, uh, well, it's, uh, I mean, to be fair, the Liverpool Man United game, wherever it happens, is is usually one of the worst games yeah, of that season in the yeah. world, or two of the worst games. <laughs> Actually, the one uh, yesterday was was a kind of a, almost a classic, low on quality but high in excitement. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it ended the, in a crescendo of excitement. We could yeah, barely take any more by the end. It was uh, it was at Goodison Park where the real action was. Mm. Uh, we might as well get some report on sport music and continue the conversation. It, yeah, I mean, it is. It's kind of weird. I mean, bloody hell. 4-0. Four, four like, there's not a lot of argument, argument with 4-0 against a team of teenagers. Yeah, I mean, and, and really, like a very young Everton team. I mean, uh, I mean Lukaku, I suppose, isn't necessarily that young anymore. Um, but, you know, still sort of dominating Barkley, two assists, um, little Holgate at the back, and... Uh, Lukman off the bench, but of course, it was really all about Tom Davis. Mm. Tom Davis, uh, the academy graduate central midfielder who scored a fantastic goal, albeit deflected off. Yeah, it's right. I mean, you know, does it does the deflection really matter? I mean, the deflection did take it past the goalkeeper. Then again, it is what it looked like. That was what he was going for anyway. Mm. Um, in, in terms of, I'm going to try and chip the ball now over this uh, player, Yaya sli- Torre sliding across me, and bravo, mm. 
genuflecting. Dutifully getting out of the way, as is the, the Bravo way. It is pretty, you know, it's, it's, this Bravo situation is not good. Uh, it's getting to the stage now where instead of talking about how good Cla- Claudio Bravo is with his feet, maybe we, should be, we, maybe we should be talking about how good John Stones might be with his hands. <laughs> I mean, how much worse a goalkeeper could John Stones be than Claudio Bravo at this stage? There really wouldn't be much of a difference. Certainly a more imposing presence. Um, I mean, well, I think it was five shots and four ended up in the net. Four shots on target, and f- that's what I heard. Four on target. Four on target, four goals. Uh, and I mean, maybe the maybe the last one was the worst in a way because you know guys from a narrow angle and just like drove it straight through. You know, okay, Bravo's legs. You know, you can get caught like that, but you'd often fancy the goalkeeper in that type of situation to get something in the ball. Um, not so much when it's Bravo, um, but Tom Davis, uh, what a performance! I mean, what a goal! He says, "Get uh, Ronald Koeman saying Tom is doing really well. He's the type of midfield player we like because he's aggressive, but sometimes he's quiet on the ball. Sometimes too quiet." That's of course a criticism that's also been made of James McCarthy, who's okay. He did get on in this game for 15 minutes, but I wonder. How his future is now looking mm. at Everton. It's a little, I mean, they've signed Schneiderlin, Schneiderlin. Yeah, last week, and then this guy. Signed yeah. Schneiderlin and Davis, obviously, and then you've got Barkley in midfield, and Barry, Garrett Barry is still there, although I guess McCarthy might think, well, whatever Barry is doing, I can do. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a slightly uncertain situation he's got now, but um, Davis, <laughs> he's kind of going for the Ragnar Lothbrook. Uh, uh, image, although I feel that he's kind of more getting the can early. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I'm sure some people on Twitter were informing you of the likeness, were they? Yeah, they were. someone well, someone tagged me on at least one of those messages anyway. Yeah, um, I, I felt that City did behave a little bit like that goalkeeper. Should have done. You know that amazing dribble that Messi had a couple of weeks ago that ended up when the keeper saving yeah. as far as scoring on the rebound. Yeah. I feel that City did the decent thing. The thing that that goalie didn't do is what City did, defense, both defensively and with Bravo yeah. uh, for the in the remainder. Of that. I mean, he's just done so well, the lad. Young man, this is going to be a big moment for him. It's not really for us to get in the way. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a great moment for Koeman as well. I mean, this is his his former roomie from Barcelona, his former water fetcher. Um, get me a cup of water, Pep. Uh, was the way that they're the dynamic <laughs> of their relationship in the past. Now Koeman can see it's Guardiola. Maybe is the you know he's the he's the guy who does you know has the reputation these days. Sure, uh, I used to give the advice. Koeman says. Um, but when I was coach of Feyenoord, I sent Giovanni van Bronckhorst to watch three days of Bayern Munich's training sessions when Pep was there. I have stolen some of the exercises. Um, but yeah, it looked as though... I mean, we're, we're going to talk to, to John... espionage? Is that what we just heard there? I think so, yeah. Well, I don't think... Uh, you know, I'm sure Pep is happy. Imitation is a serious form of flattery. Um, but we will talk to John uh, Bruno and Miguel Delaney about this situation and the, uh, the the couple of big games in the weekend, and also the Costa situation. But you know, Guardiola after this game saying that he's ruled City out of the title race. I mean, Jose Mourinho, Manchester United are two points behind City; they aren't reeling themselves out. Uh, but Guardiola is saying ten is a lot of points. Um, uh, second is three points, so we have to see. I spoke with the players for the last three weeks. Forget about the table. Focus on the next game. After that, at the end of the season, we'll analyse how our level was, our performance, the coach, and the players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, after 21 matches to be saying they're no longer in contention for the league, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, it seems... Uh, I mean, Guardiola, of of all of these managers, should know how quickly it's possible to, you know, for, for form to change. I mean, his team started by winning 10 matches in a row. Um... And since then, it's it's kind of all gone mm. pear-shaped. But the idea that, that uh, already it's too much to make up on Chelsea, I just think is a little bit defeatist from him. Um, yeah, obviously there, there are a lot of teams playing pretty well with 
you know, big managers, big reputations to hold up. There's six teams there. But really, it, it is actually just Chelsea. I mean, if Chelsea mm. collapsed, then there is a space there for one of these teams to go and win the league. And I still don't think that that's completely out of the question, that Chelsea would go through a phase of playing five games, losing two and drawing one or two. And then all of a sudden, that's they're, you know, you're right back in it then. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they've got to play Liverpool at the end of this month. Um, they also they have to play City, Manchester United. They have to kind of do it all over again, in a way. I mean, if they don't do it, then they can be caught. And um, the, the fact that there are all these big teams means that Chelsea have to play all those big teams. You know, and Chelsea, if, all you're looking for is Chelsea to be on the wrong side of two or three of those five games they have to play against the five other big sides. And you're you're in a title race then. Yeah, and and Chelsea also have this other big problem, which uh, happened at the end of last week, um, which is uh, Diego Costa's interest. Well, we don't know how interested he really is, but he certainly was interested. At least he wanted to know more Mm. about an offer um, from the Chinese Super League, which would end up with him earning you know nearly six hundred thousand a week. Now Ray Wilkins. Uh, Ray Wilkins, analysing this on Sky, uh, said, I think as a footballer, if you're going to China now at 28 years of age, you're basically saying, like Oscar, your career is finished. You're going there for the finance. Um, He said, uh, I really don't understand it. I just really don't understand it. And I thought, it's not really that difficult to Mm. understand. You know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, quadrupling your wages or maybe even more than that it's the easiest thing in the world to understand yeah i mean diego costa look at this guy i mean he he is a a guy who had to really work his way up um it wasn't as though he he wasn't like you know Lionel messi or cristiano On big ronaldo since he was 17 years old or something no um he was a hustler um scrabbling his way you know, from the very bottom, uh, right to the top of the game. You know, all these loan spells he had sell to Albacete Valladolid. Um, you know, he he, he was behind uh, big, you know, guys like Sergio Aguero, you know, at, at Atletico. He couldn't get in the team for a long time. Eventually he did, and he proved himself to be a player on that level. He went to Chelsea. He won the Premier League. Um, Took a year off. Well, you know, he had a lot Took of... Took a year away from the game. He t- well, you know, he... he, he uh, I mean, it was a toxic... It was a toxic situation at Chelsea, as we know. Uh, last season, quite a few players underperformed. Um, you know, I there, mean, was, I, there I, were issues. Yeah, basically... So what you're saying is... You know, Diego Costa basically got sent an email uh, along the lines of, you have the chance to earn... Dear Mr. Costa, you have the chance to earn £600,000 uh, a year. A week. Yeah, a week, yes, sorry. Uh, he was given three options. Yes, I agree. No, thank you. And the third one was, tell me more. Yeah. And he clicked on, tell me more. Yeah. I mean, I think that he deserves credit for that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's really clear why he, why he wouldn't be interested. And, and I also don't really see it as some kind of a disgrace. The guy is a professional. <laughs> he does this for money. I know they always say they do it for love and they'd be doing it anyway, but... If he wasn't getting paid, he he would probably play football in his spare time. I mean, sure, he would, but he this is his this is his job. If you're getting offered a stupendous sum of money, then you're going to be interested in in in, in taking. It. Now, Chelsea are obviously going to try and persuade him not to do it, and the persuasion appears to have taken very forceful, um, very forceful uh, sort of terms from Antonio Conte in training last week, but. You know, I don't know how. I don't know necessarily if bust up between Conte and Costa is really going to be that big of a problem. I can imagine Antonio Conte and Diego Costa like uh, being say, say if they were married to each other, Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. They would, yeah. They they would be smashing plates. They'd be throwing stuff at each other, you know. Uh, and there'd be s- screams and I hate you and threats of, of murder and suicide. You're a bollocks, that kind of chat. Um, and then, you know, the next day, everything would probably be all right again. Yeah. You know, I just kind of feel that because they're both guys who, who live, no who live intensely. They wouldn't apologize. You know, that would no, be they'd, make, they'd, they'd, make, they'd make love. Yeah. 
that's that's how they yeah. they'd solve the problem. Yeah. They they make. And then the up. following morning, it would just be forgotten about. Um, but look, this is uh, that that's it's a stormy type of relationship they have. They're both guys who like to who like to be on the edge. You know, they feel yeah. they need that in order to, to access that inner reservoir of of energy, um, which is what sets them apart from the pack. So you know, I I can see them easily making up over this, but. Yeah. Equally, it's it's just the same. You know, when you see the bewilderment of of the likes of Roy Wilkins, it's really simple. The reason why Diego Costa is playing for Chelsea, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Chelsea Football Club. Chelsea Football Club. What We're talking you? about this. This used to be a kind of, you you know, you you remember how Stamford Bridge was with the with the vans parked behind the goal. Mm. You know, that was Chelsea. If you look back to Cantor, uh, uh, did Can- Eric Cantor get his first league goal? For Manchester United against Chelsea at the old Stamford Bridge. It was one of the early, like, vital goals that Cantona got for Manchester United. There were, like, two vans parked. And that, like, that's not the 1970s. That's the 1992-93 season. You know, mm. it's, it's insane that, that, it, that, that quickly it's, the, the place has turned around. Roman Abramovich, um, you know, comes out of post-Soviet Russia um, with billions and billions and billions of dollars. And... Now players like Diego Costa play for Chelsea. It's a kind of a it's a random development which happened as a result of you know a political situation in a country thousands of miles away. You know there were loans, there were shares, uh, things were traded, oil companies people, changed hands. People were in the right place at the right time, Ken. You know that's how business works. And uh, and, and as a result of it, Chelsea Football Club are, are now one of the biggest clubs in the world. But let's not forget how random this in fact was. It's not as though Chelsea have any entitlement to this position. You know, it's not as though I mean, when, when players were originally joining, joining Chelsea, people go, why would you want to go there? You know, saying, as Wilkins says, you're going there for the finance. Aren't these young men earning enough in this country to enjoy playing their football? Well, like, if they can make more, then they might be interested in going there. That's, that's the reason Chelsea exists as a club at, at its current level. That's the reason Manchester City is at a club at its current level. And if there are, you know, if, if another series of political developments in another country thousands of miles away result in suddenly somebody having much more money than Chelsea and wanting to sign their players, I'm afraid that's something Chelsea are just going to have to Live accept. Die by the sword, die by the sword. So, we don't know how it's going to work. My, my feeling is that probably Costa won't go um, he's just being guilted by everyone around him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we don't know yet how that's going to resolve. Mm. So if if they were to lose him, he's a huge player. I mean, has, has been having, you know, is, is on course to be player of the year uh, in the Premier League. So that's going to be a problem for Chelsea in the, over the remaining 17 matches. Yeah, uh, we're going to speak about Liverpool and Man United in a minute as well. But I do want to give a, a major part of this uh, give this give this some time, Ken, is what I'm talking about. Andy Carroll. Yeah. We were talking about Olivier Giroud's uh, scorpion kick goal yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And you asked me, have I have I ever done that? You know? Yeah. And, you know, in, in retrospect, and I didn't admit it on air, but, I mean, I suppose I have executed that skill, you know, not to score a goal at any level, but, I mean, I have mm. been able to contort my body yeah. in that general way. Lift one leg yeah. behind. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, I've... It's basically a hamstring stretch. Yeah. But uh, Andy Carroll. <laughs> that's unbelievable. I have to say, that's the level of athleticism I certainly don't have myself. And I really didn't think Andy Carroll had it in him. He's not the type of player you imagine scoring too many of these skills. Oh. But, uh, I mean, I can't imagine a more perfect contact on the ball. I mean, it's just... Top, top, top. Kevin. Absolute long levers. Oh. Andy Carroll's leg. I mean, one it's of the longest real legs. Thing of beauty. He's got one of the longest legs, one of the longest left pegs in the game. <laughs> and all of the telescopic power of that lever uh, went straight through the center of that ball. Just physics, Ken, really. I mean, we wow. Just, we just want to talk about it. Like Village said, they, they immediately started asking about Pyatt afterwards. And he said, look, let's talk about Andy Carroll. Let's talk about Darren Randolph. Let's talk about Mark Noble, um, said Billich, swearing to underline his point. Mm. They deserve for us to talk for hours about, them, about him. That goal deserves to be spoken about for ages. It was a phenomenal goal. Um, so, hopefully Andy Carroll can, you know, stay it's a good day generally for English footballers with long hair and beards. Um, 
between uh, Carl and Davis. But what was the other game? As I mentioned, John and Miguel are going to be on shortly to talk to us about this. But the Mourinho uh, Klopp showdown in the second part of this uh, Merseyside Manchester. I think there's going to be actually a few toxic after effects from this. Uh, the two managers are taking little little pops at each other, and they're not going to. Neither of them are the type to forget these little pops. Mm. Um, Klopp noted. This is the first time I've turned up to a game and there hasn't been something to like, welcome Liverpool to the game in the in the program notes. I was looking at the program notes and there was no welcome uh, <laughs> welcome opponents. Um, Jose God. decided not to put that in yeah. uh, this time. But uh, Mourinho said he got a crick in his neck from always looking in one direction because the game was all happening down, down one end. United were attacking so ferociously. Of course, he would have been looking the other direction because he really... Does only watch the defense during the game. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas Klopp's suggestion was that uh, this is real Gladstone versus Disraeli stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Klopp's you didn't say hello to me. Was that was that in fact Mourinho should have got a, a fine neck workout with all that <laughs> rotating of his head that he was doing, watching the ball uh, soar in a high arc. He said when Fellaini came on, it wasn't football anymore. Sick top. Now, there's nothing Jose Mourinho hates more than the accusation that his teams play terrible, unimaginative football. Yeah, but on this occasion, I think it is reasonable. Uh, well, what Klopp has obviously phrased that in an incendiary way. It's not football. You know? I mean, that's wrong. It is football. It's all, it's all football. It's just the type of football that you more usually see in lower divisions or several decades ago, rather than at the home of the planet's most expensive team. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't necessarily expect. Well, you do expect because it's because it's Mourinho. So you know this is what's going to ultimately happen. I mean, it, it couldn't have uh, boiled down any more deliciously than Marcus Rashford and Marrow Edfilady both standing side by side on the touchline, waiting for the call. No question about who he, he will choose. Yeah. No, just no question <laughs> in, in that game, but that situation, and it worked. Yeah, it it worked. But there's a problem with it because it's always going to be that way. Mm. This is what it is. This is what it means. This is what Mourinho, this is what he's about. You know, if he'd had Robert Hoot on the bench, mm. he might have come on. See, I don't know. Like, I, the, the, the weird thing about Fellaini, right? I was thinking about this last night. I used to play a bit of golf with mm. Simon Hick, right? Mm-hmm. And Simon, Simon's drives, right, always went... Like, I would say, like, 40 degrees off-centre. Well, hang on, right. Three, 300 yards in total, but carry on. Yeah, uh, about 40 degrees off-centre, off to the right, mm-hmm. right? So, to fix this, rather than engage in a full remodelling of a swing, he would just aim his drive, like, out of bounds. Just, just on, the very edge of the club. On the left, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, basically, he came, he came up with a solution that, you know, that presented, as in... You know, every problem. If you if you're a hammer, hammer, every problem's a nail. You know, but I mean, yeah. he came up with a solution which worked for him on that particular occasion, and he just went with it. Yeah. Yeah. Net, net gain fifty to sixty yards up the fairway. Yeah. Well, problem solved. I I, I do think though that you know, long term, if Simon's going to stick with golf, that pro- that's not going to work. Yeah. And I just kind of felt that with Fellaini, it's. I mean, you think he would sign a player like Fellaini if he didn't have a Fellaini? I I think. The fact that he has Fellaini means he can't stop throwing him on in these games. Yeah. I mean, if Fellaini was injured, he'd have put on Marcus Rashford, well, <laughs> and maybe Rashford would have got would have got the winner. There was an article in the Times uh, by James Tucker before the game. There's a good few articles. I mean, I was I was wondering if this was going to turn out to be a little bit of a Brendan Rodgers tea and toast type of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you remember that when yeah. when they went on a, on a long unbeaten run. This is in in Rodgers' last full season at Liverpool. And just the weekend that they were going to play Manchester United at Anfield, a, a bunch of story, a couple of stories appeared detailing how Rodgers had turned everything around. Mm. And, uh, and of course, then they lost to, to Manchester United and, and everything fell apart. Um, now, obviously, Manchester United managed to equalise in this game. But there was a, you know, I mean, there was a lot of pieces about how he's turned it around and made the club feel like, like the club again. And I thought, this is... You know, remember, Joseph Mourinho is fifty-three. He's not going to change at this stage. We, you know, what yeah. you're going to get, and 
you know, when you're talking about he's he's brought Manchester United back to their traditions, he's putting on Fellaini late in the game for a bombardment, which eventually, okay, forced the goal. So you've got, it's been... Reinforced. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, the last minute he was he was there on the touchline, very um, ostentatiously managing the team, but screaming at them, calm, calm, <laughs> L- looking like the, the craziest man in the stadium. Will Ferrell <laughs> Everyone needs to calm down. <laughs> calm, 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 as they, as they readied uh, the ball for one final uh, aerial assault. It's a bit different. Um, it's a bit different from from what they used to do, uh, and I think it will be. I mean, I think you can be sure you're going to get more of that. Ibrahimovic actually said he he thought they should have played that way from the from earlier in the game. He said we um, we weren't feeling comfortable with the pressure. I think we played the wrong way. So basically, they decided, okay, let's go over the midfield, get it to Zlatan, and then hopefully make something happen from there. But like start the play behind their midfield instead of in mm. front of it. Um, yeah, which which again is a way to play. It's a legitimate way to play. It's just a way to play that's usually used by small teams that, are, that don't have the most expensive squad with the largest wage bill in the world. A lot of the times you might expect that would be... What, I, what I'm curious about is why there's, there's so much positivity around what Mourinho is doing when he's two points behind crisis club Manchester City and... You know that was a big game they needed to win. They didn't win it, and they didn't, and they failed to win it. Playing a, a kind of a Sam Allardyce, you know, uh, two big lads. You know, the, as the club mm. said, the ball's in the air for twenty-five minutes. What? What's the? What exactly are we supposed to be so impressed by? Well, nine wins in a row, or whatever it was. I mean, that's like they're uh, further th- off the top than Van Hal's team was. Well, at the same stage last season, that was yeah. not. It was a gap, a nine point gap last season. It's twelve points this season. Yeah, well, I think I think the the standard. Of, They're further off the Champions League than Van Hal's team was. Yeah, but I, I think that every team was playing terribly last year. You know, with the exception of Leicester in the last two or three months. So they've so they've improved at a slightly slower rate than all of the other teams. Yeah, I think the bar is set pretty low at Manchester United. All of a sudden, it is. I, I mean, I, this it, is it, the thing. This is yeah, the interesting thing uh, that. I think that actually the the idea that they might score a few goals or that they might play with some sort of... I mean, the attack, attack, attack thing. I mean, you know, if you've watched Manchester United over the last two or three months, I mean, they are way better to watch than they were... La- like, off the scales better to watch than they were last year and it's, the year it's, before. It, under it, it, Which, in my opinion, has a lot to do with having a player as charismatic as... Zlatan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Zlatan is a major part of, of why people are feeling pretty okay about the whole thing. Hmm. I mean, but at the same time, I think that uh, football fans are, you know, if if teams keep winning, then regardless of their position in the table, I think they are going to start feeling pretty. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to just watch Manchester United at the expense of all other teams and just say, well, we're playing pretty well. There's not a lot more we can do. If we've won nine games on the trot and we're still sixth in the league, then I suppose you're just going to have to suck that up, really. Hmm. I mean, you can't do any more than keep winning games. And even yesterday, I mean... Like, a draw, is, it seems like a terrible result. But, I mean, a terrible result was losing 4-0 to Chelsea. Mm. Like, that's a terrible result. Drawing one all with a, a really good Liverpool team, even injury ravaged as a, as a or injury hit as it was, mm. I mean, it's not a terrible result. No, it's not, it's not terrible. But I'd, I would say it was disappointing. And, it, and, it's, and it's part of a general pattern of, of not really playing very well in big matches. I mean, there's six matches they've played against the five teams above them in the... League and they've they've beaten one of those teams. It was Tottenham. Mm. Um, I mean, the Arsenal game they played brilliantly. <laughs> I mean, and you know they, they did play really. I really think if well they played day. brilliantly, they would have beaten Arsenal. Yeah, you know, I mean Arsenal's record at, at against Manchester United in, in in recent times has not been great. Anyway, as I said, we will talk to Miguel and John mm. about that. There's a couple of other things we um, get. And Marco Silva seems to be doing rather well so far at Hull. Mm. Um, the, the man everyone is now rooting for. <laughs> I know, I know. So they beat Bour- they beat Bournemouth, who you know are one of the kind of better. I guess you would most people, I guess, would have expected Bournemouth to beat Hull. Bournemouth having a decent season. Hull uh, a bit of a, a bit of a wreck, at least according to you know um, most of the football men. football men. Yeah, football men but, everywhere. You know they they were quite good against uh, Manchester United when they lost to Manchester United in the in the League Cup semi final, but they played well. You know it was it was like. 
who were the, the particularly the first sort of ten minutes of the game? You it was know, Hull, a proper game. Yeah, Hull had the ball. We're kind of passing it around confidently. You thought this is good. I didn't expect this. Meanwhile, Paul Clement is is looks like Swansea are going to go down. I mean, they're probably both going to go to go down. But you know, just there was no sort of comments, negative comment about Clement or Allardyce, the two other managers who are down there. Mm. Um, uh, and and struggling or or David Moyes, but of course none of them are uh, are foreign managers, so to speak. Okay, Ken. Um, well, Miguel Delaney and John Bruin can how they're wished no longer. That's the end of your report on sport. He agrees with plenty. Just it's always who's saying it. It's never what's actually said. Ninety percent of anything is who's saying this, and ten percent is what are they actually saying. So the ninety percent in Giles' case is oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. I'd never let you do. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this you know, opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, what can you, what can you do? Please, everyone. Well, we're joined now by John Brown and Miguel Delaney. And, uh, well, guys, it was a big day. Merseyside against Manchester uh, was the Sky team for Super Sunday. Uh, finished with Merseyside winning, I guess, 5-1 uh, on aggregate. But um, looking at the second of those two games, Manchester United, uh, welcome Liverpool to Old Trafford, having won nine in a row against injury-hit opponents, a chance to really lay down a marker. So, uh, Miguel Donnelly, where was the big show? Uh, I suppose it was actually notionally the lesser of the two games. It was really the, be- the better performance uh, overall. But yeah, I mean, you, it, it was kind of the challenge going into the game for Maria because unlike pretty much all of his previous teams, this is a, a really front-loaded side and all the talent is towards the attack and right defence. So kind of the big dilemma almost for Mourinho here was whether he does what he always does in such games or has to lock it down or actually allows United to play. And they kind of didn't really do either. It was just, it was such an uh, oddly tentative performance. And I think they will see it as a, as a huge opportunity wasted, especially given that this was kind of an injury hit Liverpool, you know, m- m- missing their main defender, missing one of their main attackers. They weren't really on it themselves either. And it, you know, it, it does kind of maybe take a few questions about the, the, the progress United have made under Mourinho. What did you think of it, Sean? I mean, it seems to me to be more evidence that... You know, Jose Mourinho's teams in big games don't deliver good football. Well, I don't think they, they that's never been the pattern of play, has it? When Mourinho's set out his team or planned ahead of a big game, the the aim is always to, um, well, contain the opponent. Although, having said that, I think in the first half, um, there was a little bit of Mourinho trying to show that in big games he can play decent football. Um, but once that came apart, uh, well, as actually Paul Pogba came apart, um, he made that half-time change, which uh, removed Michael Carrick from proceedings. Carrick hadn't played very well, so I could see the logic in that. that there is some talk that he, he was feeling unwell. Put Wayne Rooney in. Um, now, Wayne Rooney was <laughs> a minor force in the game, but at that point, he went, and as Zlatan as, as Ibrahimovic said, and, and approved of in his post-match interview, they went very direct. Um, to, to get back into the game. And that's, well, we've seen Mourinho do that in many games. I think of the games that, he's been, that I saw in it during his Chelsea regime, infamously, uh, some of the games with Inter. He, yeah, I mean, that's the Mourinho pattern and he went back to it to get the result or to get the draw, I should say. What did you think of Pogba? I mean, you've, you've said, obviously, Pogba didn't, he didn't, didn't play well in the first half. It was clear that he didn't, but it was such a weird situation. Like Pogba kind of muddling around uh, on the field and the advertising hoardings are all saying hashtag Pogba. It was just bizarre. Like it, it seems as though, you know, you, you're talking about a guy you want, you wanted to perform, but like could you maybe heap a bit more pressure on this guy? Well, this is, it, it was as if, I mean, his confidence has been building for the past few months. You know, talk all in the Old Trafford dressing room, love him. He's kind of, 
he gradually got into the role. And then it was almost as if that chance he got from the Mkhitaryan pass just completely destroyed his game and any momentum he's had over the past while. Because after that, he was just kind of, you know, he, he was a shell of himself. And, he, you know, he was kind of doing stupid things then. And even the bigger problem was that he kept trying to compensate for the miss and the penalty then thereafter, but trying to be the hero and kind of doing very little with it. What what do you think of him, John? I mean, is he like as Miguel said, he he, he clearly wants to do well all the time, but like he tries to he, he tries to do too much. You know, it's sort of he kind of forgets that he's just, although very important, a very talented player, he is just one player of ten, and really, it's it's supposed to be about the team. Yeah, exactly. I, I've I've not been buying the the pog behind particularly. I mean. I saw him score a great goal at Swansea uh, a couple of months ago, which I think was actually the start of United's revival. Um, He seems to me like a player who I wouldn't know where his best position was in the team. So you almost have to build the team around him wandering around. um, And then his devotion to the the actual disciplines of the game, which include marking at, at corners, well, which is absolutely horrendous, especially during the first half. Um, at times, you're carrying a passenger there, and, and, and at other times, you're carrying a player who, when he receives the ball, will try and do too much and get the team into trouble. It, it just seems to get a little bit too excitable. I'm not sure whether Mourinho, the master man manager, has got into his head and is, is able to control him in the way that we've seen him do with other players. And Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard would be the, the, the examples that spring to mind there. Um, Pogba still still seems like he hasn't developed. Weirdly enough, coming back to Manchester United, you know the the, the club that he left as a nineteen-year-old, where he he was considered too immature to to play for the first team, he still seems immature now. Four years on of playing for Juventus, winning everything he can in Italy, being being France's main man at the Euros. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not buying the Pogba stuff yet. I think yesterday was a poor performance in a big game. He's got plenty to prove for me. I do like him a lot, but there is a bit of an oddity here in that, you know, as he said, he's a player that needs this freedom. It's come almost fundamental to his game and to him playing well. But Mourinho has never been a manager who's given any midfielder that kind of freedom. I mean, Mourinho's a manager who's gone on kind of, in his Chelsea press conference, he went on kind of monologues about what he sees as the best role for for a playmaking number 10, only to list kind of a series of defensive requirements. So there, there, there is a little bit of a kind of, you know, um, again, there's another dilemma there for Mourinho in that sense because how can he come almost apply his best system or his best his best principles when there's a player that almost has requirements contrary to that? Yeah, yeah and when I saw the half time that Rooney was coming in at half time, I just thought, well, Pog was being subbed because he, it was the obvious choice to take off because he's someone that hadn't done his job for the team, and that's very much Mourinho thing. If someone's, I mean, you've seen him make substitutions after 30 minutes if he doesn't think someone's someone's up to it, but. The Pogba thing, of course, he paid you know, 100 million euros for this guy. Um, there is all the hashtags, all the hair. Um, is, is Mourinho having to bow to uh, a player's commercial worth? Is, is this the first time that we've seen him have to do that? Well, it would be difficult Maybe to take off to a player who who is on all the advertising hoardings around the pitch. I mean, even for Mourinho. Although I do have to also say that, I mean... When you've got a player with that sort of talent, you've got to sort of trust in him to... I mean, he is the main man in your team. You've got to trust that he's going to pick it up. You know, you can't be taken off Paul Pogba after 30 minutes. No, I know, but uh, but, uh, but you've seen... I don't know. I, I've seen You've seen managers do that type of thing. I mean, you know, Ferguson's hauled off the lights of gigs and stuff early in games and you know, made those decisions... I mean, who's the bigger man, him, Jose Mourinho or Paul Pogba? Well, it has to be Jose Mourinho, doesn't it? I don't know. Ferguson raised gigs from a pup. I'm not sure what Pogba would think if he was if he was substituted with his own name on hashtags all around the pitch. Well, it it would have been amusing, wouldn't it, to see uh, Pogba sat on the bench with all those hashtags spinning around the pitch on the advertising holdings, wouldn't it? Um, Would Ferguson have done it as well to a player? That young, I think he tended to do when they were that more established and that had more had that more confidence. I've 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 seen Fergie substitute Simon Davis after thirty minutes of going on a substitute. This the guy was ruthless, you know. Uh, you know, it, it, a different player. I mean, Simon Davis is not Paul Pogba, obviously, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I, I think we, we shall see what happens with the, with the Michael Carrick injury. But 
that would have been the player I would have taken off because Pogba at that point wasn't really serving any purpose for the team. Um, Zlatan, uh, he has been a fantastic success. Um, 14 league goals now. Um, I noticed that his teammates don't really tend to score much around him. I mean, do you feel as though Zlatan is hmm, maybe too much the focal point here? I mean, there's 14 goals by him, four goals I think is the next top scorer that he's kind of uh, the massive gravitational field of Zlatan warps everything else around him in this team. I suppose the flip side of the argument could be where would United be without Zlatan this season? Um, but then, of course, you introduce the fact that um, Anthony Martial and uh, Marcus Rashford, the two players of whom were Louis van Gaal's great successes, have receded into the background. I mean, Martial played well for the first 30 minutes or so, and I think disappeared a little and Rashford sat on the bench watching Paul Pogba's name go around the advertising holdings. Um, yeah, I mean, Zlatan, I have to say, uh, I, I thought he was going to be a sort of signing a bit like Henrik Larsson, where, you know, an ageing player comes in and teaches other players, maybe doesn't play every game, but he's played every minute of every possible game, apart from the one he was suspended. Um and the way that he is and the temptation with any, any team that's got a big man is that they get the ball forward to him and he snaffles the chances, he takes the free kicks. Um, I think one of the reasons that Wayne Rooney's decline has been able to be managed a little better is because Zlatan's around. Uh, not only proving that, you know, at 35 you could be a, a, an athlete as opposed to 31. Um, yeah, I mean, is he a little too dominant? As I say at the start, I think that um, without him, they will be in a, a little more trouble than they are now. Yeah, to be fair as well, yeah. when he first the first two or three months, I think it was as if kind of Zlatan was just playing that classic drug role in two thousand and five, where you know, and it, you know, Mourinho basically playing the same tactics he did a decade ago, which he had been criticised for. But since then, I think there is a bit more range. He's going to roam more. He's playmaking a little more, and I think there is that stat that uh, him and Pogba have created the most chance for each other in the league. And that Zlatan has almost created as much for Pogba as Pogba has for Zlatan. So he, I think he is doing more than just being that kind of lightning rod. How are they yeah, gonna... and, Pog, and Pogba's missing, do Miguel. That's is that what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. But how are they going to replace him, Miguel? <laughs> well, uh, Griezmann will be the... Uh, all, all signs point to that happening it's in very, the summer. Very different type of player, though. I mean, yeah. very, very, very good player, sure, but... Like a totally opposite player, like a little well, I mean, scurrying, nimble there striker. Sense, there is a slight sense of Zlatan being the guy. Well, not a stand-in, but almost it's. I mean, given given his age, and even given the, the public talk about whether he's going to stay for a year, now whether it's two years, it's not exactly a, a long-term um, proposal in the first place. And also, I, I'd heard in the summer that one big reason he wanted to get Zlatan in beyond his talent was that Zlatan would kind of be his. Uh, his lieutenant in that way, and then set Mourinho standards. So there, there, there's, there's an element to kind of just... Um, that, that was part of a signing as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, a lot of short-term benefits to it. Whereas with Griezmann, I suppose he would restore pace to that team. Because it, it is still a little slow. And even the fast players in it kind of tend to... Um, they, they tend to just offer little bur- individual bursts in overall play rather than kind of, you know, driving the team as a, as a whole. You, you suddenly see Rashford, Rashford come out of nowhere, but it's, it's not how the whole team plays in contrast to, say, Mourinho's into who had so much pace to the team. And I imagine that'd be some of the idea behind Griezmann coming as well. Yeah, we, we've we've scarcely mentioned Liverpool, really. I, I guess Manchester United were the, in the home game, you know, or the protagonists of that game. They were the ones who were, I think, widely expected to win uh, beforehand. Uh, Liverpool came away with a draw and nevertheless seemed, well, Jurgen Klopp seemed very disappointed, John. I mean, he uh, he seemed to think he should have won. Well, yeah, you could see why that, that felt like an opportunity missed. I mean, uh, Wijnaldum missed a real chance, didn't he, late on? Um, and they had other chances. United's defence is vulnerable. I mean, there's... You know, in in pre- in previews to the game, there were all these talks of you know how wonderful that partnership of Marcus Rocho and uh, Phil Jones has been. Again, I'm not particularly buying that hype, and uh, I think Liverpool showed that up a little bit. Um, I think they, I think Liverpool actually started the game quite, I wouldn't say negatively, but they 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 played within themselves and then stepped it up. Um, and when Coutinho came on. I think that was Liverpool's chance to win the match, but then they start. Then they got a little bit tired because of you know the, their exertions in the previous match, of the, of, of, of the previous say sixty, seventy minutes. Um, 
I think that uh, Liverpool, yeah, it's an opportunity miss. I mean, the, the one problem is, of course, that, you know, uh, Chelsea are now streaking clear of them. Uh, the title chance that they have does seem to be ebbing away a little bit. And you've got to win at places like Manchester United to keep the pace up. Um, I think Liverpool were probably good for the win, but uh, you talk to Manchester United fans and they think that they blew plenty of chances as well. I actually thought one all was a completely fair result at the end of it. Yeah. Well, uh, the other half of Merseyside versus Manchester was actually a lot more exciting Yeah. on the day. I mean, oh my God. So, Guardiola, uh, Miguel, says after this game, four, they've lost 4-0. They've lost 4-0 to an Everton team which is full of these babies. I mean, Everton are just bringing on uh, these young players to just have a go. Uh, and they all, they all score. And City lose 4-0. And afterwards, Guardiola tells the media that only Tottenham have managed to outplay Manchester City this season. I mean, yeah, it was a man fumbling for answers that just couldn't seem to explain any of it. I mean, and not just even the, the worst part for, for City as well. I mean, what, the, Leicester, the Leicester defeat which is, you know, almost as bad as that yesterday. That came, what, two months ago. And they had seemed to kind of get out of that, particularly with the 5-0 win over West Ham, where suddenly it looked all right. And now it's just, it's just all collapsed again. I mean, it's arguably worse than ever. Um, it's, it, 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 it is amazing, really, just just how bad it is. And, and it, the whole, I mean, when, when Pep is saying things like that, it's usually anchored to some kind of, you know, one of his overarching theories about how to play football, about the kind of the, the, the way they use possession, it's just these little things that let them down. But I mean, in, in no model of football, in, in no theory, can you justify a team that's just that easy to score against? I mean, every time everything went forward, it looked like they, City were going to absolutely collapse. I mean, this is what I don't understand. How can he sort of? How can he not respond to this? This is what I don't understand. Yeah. Is with Manchester City, it's like they're they never change, and they keep they keep letting in these simple. Simple, embarrassing goals. And there's no point in, in Guardiola standing there after the game and going, well, actually, you know, if you look at it, we had most of the ball and, you know, they arrive, they arrive once and, and they score. And you're like, you can't just keep letting in some goals. You have to do something. You have we, to we do something to change this. Game. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. But, and, this, like, and surely <laughs> the history of management, I suppose, is, is basically managers having, having these kind of grand tactical ideas but temporarily adapting them to make them work in the long term, to build confidence in them. But there seems to be none of that from Guardiola. Yeah, I mean, putting Zabaleta in midfield, which it has to be regarded as a failed experiment by now, to keep doing that, you know, that we're moving into it being a sign of madness now. Um, when when Tom, Tom Davis, who had a great game, uh, looks a really promising player, is able to run the length of the field with the ball, fall over... And then collect it and score. You've got to be asking questions of the defence. Um, the John Stones thing. I mean, I think when John Stones signed for Liverpool, the, the widespread view was that signed for, Guardiola was going to sign for City. Yeah, sorry, mean, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, Guardiola, yeah. yeah, yeah. Guardiola signed Stones. Yeah, that he he was going to be the um, Guardiola was going to hone this player into you know the new Bobby Moore. Uh, maybe a new, maybe maybe a new Rio Ferdinand or, or a Gerard Piquet, someone like that who uh, whose uh, obvious skill on the ball would uh, be married with defensive discipline. Um, and what we're seeing now is is the meltdown of, 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 of someone I consider actually having seen him play at Everton quite a few times to be a real real talent. But he's being exposed. He's being exposed by the midfield in front of him. Yaya Torre was playing in midfield and. You know, we, we've never thought that Yaya's liked to tackle for a few years. Um, City are, you know, for want of a better word, are a complete mess at the moment. Um, and it, it's so obvious to say this, but the stats just bear it out. What they're doing with Claudio Bravo still in goal is a complete mystery. Um, that he is going to be remembered as the the totem, I suppose, the icon of. Pep Guardiola's first season in charge because as Guardiola said after the game Manchester City are not in the hunt for the title now and the reason for that is that the goalkeeper can't make a save Do you agree with that Miguel? 14 out of the last 22 shots apparently Bravo has yeah, well, conceded 
And beyond how easy he is to score against Bravo, one thing I always notice with him is that I don't think I've actually seen him catch a cross yet. And the, the amount of times a ball goes across the city box, and you see him kind of feebly try and punch the ball. And not not only is it kind of there's not much force on what trying to do, but he's always so low. He's not kind of getting on top of, of strikers or dominating those, those sort of confrontations. Um, without to be, and uh, Bravo's obviously been a big problem that sense. But the one thing I keep thinking with, with Guardiola as well is, I mean, the, uh, beyond all this, there's always this wider debate about Guardiola and, you know, the players he had at Barca, Messi, Xavi, Iniesta and all of this. But I think what he misses most is almost um, the defensive players, particularly someone like Busquets, someone like Philippe Lam, who kind of just understands what he wants to do, kind of knows how to control a back line and can and give him that platform for how he wants to play is, while still offering a bit of defensive freedom because to a certain degree when when those Guardiola teams have that assurance at the back the attack take care of themselves but at the moment because there's absolutely no protection there whatsoever because they're just, just so poor it's just you know a, a massive wide open hole for, for players like Tom Davis to surge into it means that kind of, there's no confidence through any of the team and I think I think he badly misses that above, above anything and if he kind of made maybe two of the right signings this windows, you know, some of the season can be rescued, but it, it kind of it is amazing that after all this and after all the fuss and everything Guardiola says, he still probably needs two expensive signings to do anything this season. I, I think mm. we've discussed this before, Ken, but um, the, the signings that Miguel makes, um, can we expect Manchester City to make the right signings there? I think we look at the transfer dealings over the summer. We've got Gundogan, a player with an inj- a terrible injury record, who gets injured. Uh, Leroy Sané, who's done the odd thing, John Stones, who's you know is having a apocalyptic season. Um, the the player, and also look at the players. Uh, Cheeky Bergeristan is stockpiled to be there for Pep, Pep Guardiola for when he comes into the club. I mean, I've been looking at this over the last few days, and the, the, the only player, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling are two players that were. Almost slam dunks, you know, 50 million and you're going to get a real talented player. Both have been pretty inconsistent this season, but I think both are are good signings, even though they cost a lot of money. The only good player I can see beyond them, the only successful signing is Fernandinho, who was signed three seasons ago, I believe. Uh, And of course, he keeps getting sent off for Pep Guardiola. So um, can we trust Manchester City's hierarchy, the deal makers, to get the players through? to make Pep Guardiola's team do what he wants it to do, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. So you're raising... And, uh, actually, it goes beyond City this, because, I mean, Guardiola apparently feels indebted to Bagheera for his whole career because he gave him a chance at Barca in 2008. Oh, but come he, on, he, come he, on. He, Guardiola doesn't feel indebted to Bagheera for his career. I mean, maybe, he's, maybe he said that to be polite at some stage. There's well, no way he actually well, believes that. It, it, it was a big reason in why, in why he picked City. But, but even beyond that, though... If you look, if you look back even at Bagheera's time in Barcelona, so some of the signings that were made for for Guardiola. There, I mean, they, they used to have this kind of long term issue about maybe, uh, you know, replacing this, uh, replacing the centre half alongside Piquet. You mean like Chigrinsky and, and these kind of guys? Yeah, Chigrinsky, yeah. exactly. And like, then even even for other players like Kerrison, there's, there's not there's not too many um, too many positives in that list of transfers, even going right back. Well, this, you're raising an interesting question here, then, because if I mean everybody looks at this Guardiola situation and says, well. Manchester City put so much time into in getting Pep Guardiola that clearly they will support him. They will, you know, the, these defeats um, are heaping indignity upon Guardiola. Sure, but you know he can he'll he can wipe the egg off his face. And given time, uh, this is going to come together, and Manchester City can be counted on to give Guardiola time. But I wonder, can he be counted on to give them time? Because if he is if he's suffering these sort of weekly humiliations. And you can see how how angry he is from his, he, he, you know, he's almost unable to speak with anger when when they interview him after the game. You know, he's not he's clearly not enjoying this. I wonder if he will begin to at some point lose faith in the club that he's working for. I mean, they they clearly believe in him, believe that he's the best coach in the world. But is he maybe going to start thinking? Hang on a second. Um, Nobody can win with this club. Nobody, nobody can win with a club like Manchester City, who are, after all, only the equivalent of Villarreal. Yeah, it's interesting in that sense. Whether kind of you know because of his wider view of the club, despite the fact that they've won two of the most recent titles. Um, 
I don't know. I think Guardiola's probably so dogmatic about all this that, you know, it would almost make him more determined, or possibly even more determined to keep going down this, this rabbit hole of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of playing that football with this defence. And it doesn't look like he fancies three years in Manchester at the moment, does it? I mean, uh, I mean, you mentioned those post-match interviews. I mean, the guy's moving around like a, a jack-in-the-box, isn't he? He's being interviewed. I'm beginning to feel sorry for the cameramen that are having to film him because he's all over the place. He's shifting from foot to foot. Um, he's also speaking at you know volume, very, very low volume. This, this guy looks like he's having a meltdown at the moment. Now, I know... That there were moments like that when he was at both Barcelona and Bayern Munich. The, the bloke is intense, and intense to a fault, you would probably say. Um, I just wonder, um, you know, I mean, there, there is, okay, there's this view, isn't there, where that the English are considered smug because they're, they're laughing at Guardiola because of the way that he can't cut it in the Premier League. Um, I, think, I think that's obviously too simplistic a view. But as you said, Ken, when when does Guardiola begin to think that he can't cut it at Manchester City? And the thing is about him being at Manchester City, he's gone into the club and pretty much what he and Cheeky Bergerstein say goes at that club. I mean, they, they've run everything. Everything is micromanaged by them. Um, but there may come a point when the other people in the club begin to wonder, well, is this guy all that? Because things aren't going as well as they did, say, under Manuel Pellegrini. We begin to, we begin to wonder whether the power base might shift as uh, Manchester City become less successful as a football team. That's something to keep an eye on anyway. Yeah, we're nearly out of time here, but you, John, were at the Chelsea game. Chelsea beat Leicester, so Antonio Conte had a lot of interest in what he was going to say after this because uh, the big story of the sort of end of last week was Diego Costa might be moving to China, wants to move to China, had a big fight in, in training. What exactly is going on there? What was Conte saying about it on Saturday? Well, I mean, the word from within the club that there, there is an offer from China, um, the word from Costa's people appears to be that uh, if there is an offer from China, they're, they're not considering it at the moment. Um, but, but Conte, after the game, gave a real masterclass in, well, pretty much saying nothing while answering the question straight on. I was hugely impressed by it, considering that the guy didn't speak English until, uh, you know, the, the middle of last year. Um He's done this before, obviously, uh, having been uh, at Juventus um, and uh, also an Italian manager. Um, he keeps a cool head. He's asked repeatedly, will Costa have a future at this club? At, at no point. The only thing that he said that slightly gave it away was, why not? But beyond that, he never really gave an answer. The, the inference was all the way that uh, Costa pretty much has to bow down and scrape to get back into the team. Uh, he was also asked about, towards the end of the press conference, he asked about, you know, when will Diego be recovered from his injury? And at this point, uh, having spoken very clear uh, English, he, he suddenly sat there with a question asking, injury? Is, uh, there's an injury? And sort of, you know, basically inferring that there pretty much is no injury uh, and uh, that whatever spins has been put on this story, uh, this is a dispute between player and manager and that... Uh, Certainly, Antonio Conte won't be backing down. And also that Costa is expendable. Now, remember that uh, Conte, as a player, played for Juventus in their glory years. Every year, they would sell a great player. They sold Viali, they sold Ravanelli, they sold Christian Vieri. All these players were moved on from the club, and the club continued as it was. And I think that's Conte's view on Costa. In, in 96, they changed, after winning the Champions League, they changed their entire attack line. Yeah, exactly. Selling it all, selling it all to the northeast of England. I think uh, Boxage, uh, Ravenelli, and Boviali didn't yeah. end up having to go there. Listen, uh, guys, that's all we got time for. But thanks many for uh, joining us on the show today. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. See if you don't get us out at Motherwell. You're away, mate. Your bags in your desk. Boom. Your bags in your desk. Boom. I mean, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Boots here, in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me.
You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it in fans? Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. All right, so Manchester United's uh, winning run came to an end. Mm. And there was another big run that came to an end this weekend. Yeah, it was actually probably the best game. I mean, the mo- so I only watched the second half of the Sevilla Real Madrid game, but it was extremely entertaining. It was probably the best. I could see also that on Twitter there were people. So I can't remember exactly who, but there were people saying, "Oh, look at this! Look at the quality of this game!" You know, compared to that rubbish that was on earlier on. What a load of rubbish that was! You know, the the game at Old Trafford. Look at these two teams, Sevilla and Real Madrid. The quality. Um, and yeah, I guess that was that was fair. Mm. Although I would have to say, I would be very surprised to see David de Gea concede the goal that uh, Real Madrid conceded to Steven Jovetic, which ended up winning the game for Sevilla. There was a there was an own goal by Sergio Ramos, which of course he scored with furious conviction. He does <laughs> everything with such conviction, including bullet the ball into the back of his own net. Uh, but then Jovetic, you know, this was from from a position where they'd been one 0 down. Ronaldo getting a penalty and throwing the ball at an opponent. In a, um, well, of course he wasn't going to get sent off. You know, he's Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. But the other interesting thing that happened in the last couple of days, I thought this was amazing actually, was um, the incident at Barcelona, where uh, one of their directors, one of their sort of um, minor attendant lords at Barcelona, mm-hmm. has been sacked uh, from. Uh, well, his main position with the club for saying something scandalous. So the statement from Barcelona said, FC Barcelona have dismissed Per Gretikos as head of institutional sporting relations with the Royal Spanish Football Federation for having publicly expressed a personal opinion that does not match that of the club after the draw for the quarterfinals of the Copa del Rey. <laughs> Sounds outrageous. The decision has been taken by Albert Soler, director of professional sports, who will assume these functions directly from now on. So what did he say? Uh, he was at the Copa del Rey draw and uh, interviewed afterwards. He said, Leo is one of the most important people in the team, but it's not just about him. Barcelona are not here only because of Messi. He's very important, but it was the team who won against Bilbao. He would not be as good without Iniesta, Neymar, and company, uh, before then adding, but Messi is the best. So, <laughs> so sacked. Uh, he gets to continue on in his uh, capacity as the uh, head of the Youth Academy's Masia 360 project. But... That's amazing. Sorry, am, am I missing something here, no? Well, th- this is an illustration of the point that it's not really what is said, it's who's saying it. Yeah. Because what what Gratikos says there is literally what Lionel Messi says every single time he picks up the Ballon d'Or. He says, I mean, where is he? Okay, here he is in 2013. I would like to recognize my other colleagues from Barcelona. Andres, it has been great to train and play alongside you. You know what I mean? He He does this. Every single time he wins the Ballon d'Or, he says, couldn't have done it without my teammates. Thanks, Iniesta. Thanks, Javi. Yeah. You know, but it's one thing for him to say that. It's another thing, apparently, uh, for a director. I mean, Some Bar- pencil pusher to well, say it. Well, Barcelona's directors can't, can't seem to stop putting their, their feet in it because the, the other thing was uh, Oscar Grau, who's the CEO, talking about the contract renewal. You know, Messi gets his contract renewed very, mm-hmm. very frequently. Uh, in order to keep pace with inflation, and I'm sure he's looking at what's happening in China now and thinking, "Well, yeah. hang on, this is just you know, yeah. uh, this is my I, I was reasonably happy with my wages, but now I realise that they're a, a brutal, bilious insult, you know, <laughs> because Tevez is getting paid twice as much as me, and this is a joke because I'm better than Tevez, mm. like a lot better." Um, but uh, Oscar Grau is saying uh, we need to analyse with a cool head and common sense. We cannot spend more than 70% of the budget on salaries. Therefore, we have to make sure things balance. So club, uh, club director with responsible for boring administrative stuff makes reference to the need to balance the books and not go absolutely crazy giving all the money to Messi. And this is, this is another kind of plot against the club. You know, so it's, uh, it seems a fairly fraught situation. Yeah, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to Richie Sadler presenting last Thursday's show, you definitely should. In it, he talked to Luke Fitzgerald, the former Irish rugby player on the perils of enforced early retirement, and Dion Fanning on Gaza, alcoholism, mental health. So laughs of plenty, as uh, Richie said in the 
in the show itself but no it's it's really really good so check it out we'll have another show out for you later today with the latest from the Irish waltz through the group stages of the European Rugby Champions Cup you can follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains or you can email us on editor at secondcaptains.com thanks Ken thanks Kieran and thanks for listening That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.